Amen. Can we put our hands together and give God a cheer this morning? Come on, let's give God praise. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many are thankful you're saved and healed and delivered today? Hallelujah. Amen. You're so good, God. Good to see everybody here today. You may be seated. And thank you so much for everyone that has come this morning. And I have seen some faces that I haven't seen for a little bit. And so I'm just so excited about that. And uh, good to see everybody. I'm hoping that by the end of the service, you'll recognize people that we haven't seen for a little bit or uh, we just missed a little bit. But it's all good. And we're so thankful that everyone's able to come out today. And it's not snowing. So that's something to be thankful for today. And, and uh, you know, spring, as they say, is right around the corner. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. How many love spring? Spring's not my favorite, but it's, it's good. I'm glad it's it's. I say it's here. I claim it, right? Amen. I claim it's here. And uh, so we're excited about that. Those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much, and we love you. And uh, we just pray that God ministers to you and your family today. Thank you for just taking a few moments out and listening and hearing the word of the Lord today and, and whatever God speaks. And we're so excited about it. How many believe that God is doing something amazing in this generation? Come on, some of you might have to lift your hand by faith and say, by faith, I believe God is doing something amazing in our generation. Aren't you glad that, amen, we're never going to get out too far from God's reach, amen, but how many know He's got movement, He's got revival, He's got, his, amen, a plan, amen, to bring people to Himself, and I'm so excited about that. Aren't you glad that this is a generation that's going to serve God, amen? We're going to declare that, that our generation is going to know God, they're going to serve God, they're going to be raised up to, to carry on, amen, the things of God. I'm so excited about that. You know, if you look in the history of our, our history, especially in biblical history, you'll see that there was a time where God sent a deliverer among the people. And, uh, you know, the leaders picked up on it. And uh, for one reason or the other, they just wanted to kill all the babies. And they killed all the firstborn. And we find the story of Moses. How many remember that story? And, and uh, why? Because there was a deliverer among them. That's what the Bible says. When Pharaoh heard that there was a deliverer among them, he said, we've got to get rid of this generation of deliverers. And you know, when Jesus was born, I mean, you know, the same thing, amen, that, uh, you know, they heard about, the leader he heard about that there was a deliverer, king of the Jews. We've got to get rid of this deliverer. And so he killed all the firstborn. And we see this uh, happening in our, the last century that there was a deliverance for the nation of Israel. They were finally coming into their own uh, being a state and, and that moving towards that. And how many know six million Jews were persecuted and died because their deliverance was happening? And how many believe that there's a deliverance in, in this generation? Amen. And I know that there is, a, there is a force and there is a spirit to kill a generation before they know who they are. Amen. But it's up to us as the people of God and the church, amen, not just uphold, amen, the sanctity of life, but also declare life over this generation. Amen. I don't know about you, but don't speak to your, look at the news and speak about this generation that, oh, they're all going to hell and it's all, it's all lost. Listen, there's a deliverance that God has in this generation for this generation. And I'm declaring that this is going to be a generation of deliverers. Amen. Uh, come on, of preachers, of ministers, of amen, evangelists, pastors and prophets and teachers in Jesus' name. Amen. That was just on my heart. Romans chapter 12, we're going to... Read it, and then we're going to pray, and we're just going to pick up where we left off, and I'm just going to finish this where we started last week. Uh, we talked about transformed life. 
out of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for I say, through the grace given unto me, that to every man that is among you. Now he's speaking to everybody, the church. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to come together and get into your word. So I ask, Lord, like the old missionary did, that, Lord, as we get into your word, your word would get into us. As we examine your word, your word, we begin to examine us. Bring healing and salvation and deliverance through your word today, not because of me, but in spite of me, Lord, because of the power of your word. Your word is already anointed. Your word is already blessed. Lord, I just ask for us. Help us hear and see and know through your word, Lord, you in a different way today, in a better way. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So we talked last week about the transformed life. We brought out three things. Number one, it's a transformed worship. When we come to the Lord, our worship has changed, and he goes through these, and we went through these verses talking about the mercy of God. You present your body a living sacrifice. So your transformed worship, transformed mind, and transformed relationships. How many know when you're born again, Jesus does something brand new? Amen. How many are excited about that? He does something amazing in your life. And so as he's talking about here, because of what Jesus has done and the mercy that God showed us, that we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We talked about that, that it should be all in that it's complete and it's sincere and that it is a dedicated service to the Lord and it, that we ought to do it wholly and acceptable. Amen. Completely and, and whatever God asked for. He said this is your reasonable service. At the end of verse 1, he says this is your reasonable service or this is the least you can do. We put it this way. We said it, it's the only rational reaction to all the good gifts that God has showered on us. Amen. How many believe that it's our reasonable service? This is what we can, the least we can do for all that God has done for us is give ourselves completely to Him. And so we talked about this and we talked about uh, that, the, what that word means and that our worship and our thoughts and our actions are fueled by the mercy of God. How many believe your thoughts and your actions are fueled by the mercies of God? That's what he's saying. Let it be fueled by the mercy of God. And then in verse 2 he said, don't be conformed to the world but be transformed. Look at a lot of neat different um, contrasts and comparison there and definitions. But to conform to the world means that there is pressure coming from within, from outside. It means that uh, when, when Jesus was teaching this as well, it's talk, talking about trying to change the outside, right? And thinking that you're good on the inside. I mean, that's being conformed. That's what, and Jesus talked about that. But also, he says here, don't be conformed. He says, now be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or that, that word there, transform, means to change from the outside, coming, or from the inside out. So from the inside out. That word there is uh, where we get metamorphosis and caterpillar. And, you know, we get, get that process of a caterpillar. And so it refers to the process that really being uh, begins inward and leads to an outward permanent change. And how many believe that transformation is the process or the product of the gospel? When, when you are, are saved and born again, how many of the product is transformation? Amen. You're brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. 
Is that right? Amen. Your, your father, you, you had a, a father, he was the devil. You were in darkness, the Bible says. You had a future ahead of you that didn't look so great. But now when you're in Christ, how many know you've got a new father? You've got a new faith? You've got a new future? Come on. And old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is a transformed life. And transformation is a process, or not just a process, but a product of the gospel. A lot of people say, well, I'm saved, but it never changed my life. How many know we need to back up a little bit and say, are you really saved? Amen? Because salvation, when salvation comes to our life, it changes our hearts. It changes our minds. Is that right? It, I don't know. Are you with me? Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't think the same. I don't talk the same. I don't walk the same. I don't, I'm not the same, right? We're transformed by the power of God. And so he says here we can be transformed. That process on the inside to the outside can, be, can happen by the renewing of your mind. And I left you with this last week, that the word renewing comes from the word re renewal. It means, one of the things it means is to be clean or cleansed or washed. So to have your mind washed. We could say your brainwashed. <laughs> How many are thankful that Jesus washed your brains? Oh yes, he did. You think different. You think different about relationships, about marriage, about money. Jesus taught us all these things. You think different about life. You think different about other people. You were taught, maybe you were taught that you, know, that you were higher than other people and you were better than other people. And there's people in this world that are lesser than you. And How about now when you came to Christ, you understand that we are all one in Jesus Christ and that we are to humble ourselves and serve like Jesus. And there's no such thing as a ladder of success in the kingdom. Amen. We see that. It means to have your brains washed. Amen. So let's say you go to that church and they're just washing your brain, you know, brainwashing your kids and everything. Yeah, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we left this with this, uh, last week with this. Uh, th the first part is the world really pushes for conformity by destroying your thinking. But God renews your thinking and shows you how to live. And so there's a difference there, and he's showing us that. How many believe that we shouldn't be conformed to the world, but we transform by the renewing of our minds? Amen. It's going to be easy because two people raise their hands, so it's easy to preach to two people. Part two. Here we go. So we see this in verse two, and he goes in. He's not just talking about being transformed, but then he says, there's something amazing. He says that you would know that you might prove what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Or that you would know what is the will of God. That you would know what is uh, acceptable or pleasing, what is good, what is complete before the Lord. You see, when you stop doing what God wants you to do, you no longer know what's good, what's pleasing, what's complete. That's why it's important that we continue to renew our mind. Because then he says you will know what God wants. You will know what is good. You will know what is pleasing. You'll know what is complete. The will of God. You will understand the will of God for your life when you renew your thinking. That's what he's saying. How many know it's important to understand what God's thinking? It's important to understand God's will for your life. It's, in, under, it's important to understand what God wants us to do and what is acceptable to God and what isn't acceptable to God. Amen. And so this is what he's saying. is that You might prove this. You will know this. And so we need to allow God's work on the inside uh, can, just continuing this thought, we need to uh, you know, let God's work happen on the inside to change your way of thinking so you know 
what God's will is. And that's what he's saying. And then verse 3. I love verse 3 because it goes into a real good teaching. And he begins to really explain it a little bit more about a transformed mind. He says in verse 3, he says that you should... I'm speaking to the grace that was given to me. So he's, he's letting them know that, listen, I'm not saying this that I'm better than you or, or that I'm, I'm saying this as I'm lording over you and you better listen to me. Listen, this grace that you have was given to me too. All right? So that's what he's saying. The grace that was given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think, here we go, renewed mind, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Or don't go beyond what you ought to think. Don't go beyond, as he later on describes, high thinking, lofty thinking, high-minded. In other words, don't go beyond what God wants you to think about yourself. Right? You can turn me down a little bit. So he, he says, but, but then he goes in and he says, but you ought to think soberly according to as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith or the quantity or, of faith or the measured portion of faith. So God has distributed to every man, as Romans 13 says, every man's been given a measure of faith. And so he said, out of that faith, that's how you need to live according to the faith that God has given you. But don't think of yourself higher than you need to be thinking about yourself. How many know that's where you get in trouble? All right, so he, this is a renewed mind. And this is one of the things that I wanted to bring out today at, at the very beginning. And that is this, one of the first and the greatest things of renewed mind is selfless thinking. The greatest thing is selfless. How many know when you came to Jesus, one of the things, first things that happened in your mind is you forgot about yourself and you began to think about others. You began to think about Jesus. You began to think about the Lord. The Bible says that we don't live unto ourselves. For ourselves, we live unto God for Him. Amen. And so Paul is talking again about this. And when he talks about selfish thinking, he always describes it as high and lofty. He, he says it's high-minded. How many know in Isaiah 13 we got a picture of, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Lucifer. Amen. As he was an angel, he began to think high-minded thoughts about himself. Is that right? Now let's go back to what he says in verse 2. He says, be not conformed to the world. Let me ask you this question. What is in the world that we should not conform to? What is in the world that we should not conform to along with these thoughts? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says this. For everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This does not come from the Father, but from the world. So we can honestly say that what is in the world that is forcing us to conform to is pride. That's why, how many know, when you come to Jesus, you can't have pride. You can't, that's the greatest thing that God said even measures us today by, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you will what? Love other people more than you love yourself. And we, we said this for years. How many know, pride took an angel and made a devil out of him. Right? And anytime we get in that place that we want to take glory and we want to get into that glorified place or we want to take pride... We're becoming in that nature of the devil. And so when someone said you're no more like the devil than when you want to lift yourself up in pride. And so we see that this is what the world wants us to conform to. Pride and lust. Lust for ourselves. Lust for what we want. Our desires. The way we think it should be. The way we think God is. Or what we want God to be or don't want God to be. Come on. That's pride. Is that right? And so let me just give you a list of what conforming to pride looks like. I believe it looks like this. It looks like 
someone who believes they're entitled, being entitled to everything and everything. What you have should be mine. I deserve the best. I should be first. I should be the one that's better than everybody else. I should be the one greater. I should be the richest. I should be the most popular. How many know that's pride? Being entitled. Also, really conforming to pride is looking out for yourself. That, that's kind of a no-brainer. And then also, seeking revenge is pride. Seeking revenge, retaliation. Come on, have somebody else you know, suffer for what you want them to suffer for to get back at them. That's pride. That's pride. So seeking revenge. And, and by the way, if you look at the rest of these verses, which will go through quickly, you'll see that he's teaching on each one of these. On each one of these. Seeking revenge and lack of compassion is a form of pride. This is what we are not to conform to, and that is that spirit of pride. The pressure to conform brings the delusion to perform and treat other people to a lower level. When you're conforming and the world wants you to conform, there's a pressure that you've got to preform. You've got to act a certain way. You've got to put on a face. You've got to, come on, you've got to put on a veil. You've got to put on a mask. That's called hypocrisy. Right? And there's a pressure that I've got to be somebody that I'm not. I've got to do something that I won't do. So it's being selfless and a selfie generation. And he's saying, look, you, you can't conform to that. You've got to conform to selflessness like Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus is taking you. I mean, no, God will never lead you in a place of pride. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead you into a place of, of being, you know, feeling that you're better than everybody else and that you need to be entitled and, and, and you have to revenge, you need to take revenge on people. I mean, no, that's not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not going to cause you to be angry and, and, and with people to the place that you're just absolutely nasty and lashing out and destroying them. So, notice what again, higher than you should. He says these words, don't let any man think higher than he should about himself. How many know there's a ceiling about what you need to be thinking about yourself? Now, in the world, we've heard these songs and other things that you need to love yourself. You need to, you need to embrace yourself. You need to explore. You need to do whatever you need to, to let you, you express yourself, to do all these things. Now, how many know, as, as he's teaching here, there's a limit to that. I said there's a limit to loving yourself and respecting your body. You okay with that? All right. Come on. I believe that children of the future... But I don't believe that we need to be looking to ourselves and believing in ourselves. There's that old thing I grew up with, you know, you know, the Magic Kingdom and all that with Disney is that, you know, just believe, you know, and everything, believe in yourself, believe in yourself. How many know is there's a level of that he's saying, but don't go beyond that level because the moment you get into where you believe in yourself more than you believe in God, you're in big trouble. Amen. The more that you start trusting in yourself, the more that you start relying on yourself and saying, I can do it. I, I don't need God. I can do this. How many know you're in serious trouble? So there's a level that we need to, uh, well, let me just say this, that if you don't know how to think about yourself the way that God thinks about you, then you won't know how to treat other people right. If you don't know how to think about yourself the way God tells us to think about ourselves, then you're not going to know how to treat people right. Let me give you an example. That if, if those who really who, who love themselves too much will hurt other people and, you, and end up destroying themselves. How many I'm talking about? How about those who hate themselves too much will end up hurting other people and destroying themselves? How I many know you can't love yourself too much and you can't hate yourself too much? There's a, so that's what he's saying is that we need to not think higher about ourselves than we need to be thinking about ourselves. 
Yeah, you got to take care of your body. Yes, you need to take care of your, your life. And you need to have a, a, there is a, there is a level of respect that you have for your body. Come on, somebody. I don't think it's right that you destroy your body. The body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says, that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. How many know there's a balance? There's, a, there's what we're talking about, so that's what he's saying, but there's a level there. And so let me just recap and say that a transformed mind is living from the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. It's knowing God's will, which is good, pleasing, and complete. It's humbly considering yourself and thinking of other people more. That's a transformed mind. And so as he goes into verse 4 to 21, he begins to go and he, goes and he talks about something that happens with a transformed life. It, there's something amazing that happens. All of a sudden you realize you have transformed relationships. And I want to talk to you about that. So in verses 4 through 21, we'll see that he's talking, he gives us keys to transform relationships, number one, in Christ and in the world. Let me explain. So in Christ. So he begins to go through this. And, and so let me just give you these three things that he gives us in our relationship, our transformed relationships, those who are in Christ or in Christ. Number one, we are one body in Christ. One body in Christ. In verse 4 and 5, he says this, As we have many members in one body, all members have not the same function. So we being many, many people or many individuals are one body in Christ and everyone a member of one another. This is where it ends and begins as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have to realize that we are one in Jesus Christ. You, used to became, you came from another race, you came from another language, came from another nation, and the Bible says that in the, through the blood of Jesus, all the nations, all the kindreds, tongue, and tribes of the world have become one in Jesus Christ. And of course, he's talking about being born again. You've got to be born again. Once you're born again, you are one in Jesus Christ. The way that you view other people has got to change. The way that you view, view yourself has got to change. Is anybody listening? Amen. We become one in Jesus Christ. And from that, that's where we need to treat people from that, that kind of thinking right there is what he's saying. You've got to approach it that way. You can't look at it as like, well, I, I was rich and everybody else is poor. I was this and everybody else is this. We are one in Jesus Christ. Is this all right? I mean, no, the, the world is looking for unity. The world is searching for love. The world is searching for racial reconciliation, acceptance. And we've got it right here. It's called the blood of Jesus. And when we come into the blood of Jesus, the Bible says we're one in Christ Jesus. You can't think about other people the way you used to think about other people when you were in sin. You're one in Jesus Christ. And so every believer that is in Jesus Christ is your family member. You are one. Through Christ. Many people think they're better than other people because they go to a different type of church than other people. But if you're in Jesus Christ, you are one member. Is that right? One body, the Bible says. Many members, one body. One body. I think we need to get a revelation of that. Amen today. Boy, I tell you, if the church lived as one man, one member, one body, we would change our cities. Amen? I'll take it anyways. Amen. So this is where the thinking about yourself and other people starts right here. We are one in Jesus Christ. It's what he did at Calvary. He made it, how many know, he value, put value on us. He made us acceptable. He gave us worth. He gave us purpose. Is that right? Well, guess what? He did it for everybody else too. And we've got to see other people that way. 
I know some people that believe in Christians, the way they sing, talk, preach, they act like they're the only ones going to heaven. Aren't they going to be surprised when I show up? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> when you show up, when we show up together, they're be like, man, we never liked those people. Like, Well, now we're in church together forever. Yes. Amen. And so not only do we, are we one in the body, but here's the second thing is a relationship, transformed relationship. We understand that we use our God-given gifts to make others stronger in the faith. In verses 6 through 8, he begins, he says now, he begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, and, and the gifts, not just of the Spirit, but different gifts that God has given us. He calls them grace gifts. And having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So we've got different gifts, but it's the same grace. We activate your, your gift by using, he says, as the proportion of your faith you have. So he begins a good teaching here, and he's given instructions about your gifts. And he lists seven of them. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. And he says that these gifts are to be done without any self-seeking motive or partiality and generosity or for the encouraging and comforting of the Christians, of, of the saints, of the living God. So how many know that we need to come into this, this transformed relationship when we discover that we're one in Christ? And then secondly, God gives you gifts to strengthen other people. How many know people thought they, gave, they had that gift so that they can build a large ministry and have this big following and then they can go fly around on a jet? No, God gave you the gifts that you have that you can make other Christians stronger, that they could do work in the ministry like you're doing the work of the ministry. Too many people look to one man in the church. Well, he's the guy that hears from God, and, and he's the one that, I, I, you know, that teaches me how to read the Bible. How many know that's done away with in Jesus Christ? Amen? We're here to equip you to do the work that all of us need to be doing. Amen. And so uh, we could talk a lot about that. But anyways, so these gifts are given to make other Christians stronger. And so this is what transformed is all about. These relationships that we're coming into, we're transformed. I don't know, it just transforms relationships. It's being a vessel in which the gifts can flow through your life. It's, see, a lot of times the gift stops at pride. It stops there. It, we, we get to the place where, wow, God is using me. Look what I did. Listen to what I did. I, I prophesied this and it was right. How many know we shouldn't get too impressed with ourselves? Because it's not about ourselves, it's about other people. It's about strengthening their faith. It's about you know, people seeing the love of God through us. Is that right? Amen. You know, there's times where God has used me in such an unusual way. It, was, it blew my mind. I was like, that's so awesome. You know, wow, that's so awesome. And if you're not careful, you, you start thinking, I'm awesome. But how many know it's God that's awesome through us? Amen. Because you know something? The next day, you could not be so awesome. Amen. Hallelujah. So, and so as, just to go over this, the main message that he's saying here about our gifts is to offer yourselves completely without worldly influence. Change the way you think so that you can be changed to a person God can use. And the third thing that we see that he's saying that our transformed relationships with those in the church are love is a sincere action. Love is a sincere action. In verse 9 and 10 it says, Let your love be sincere or genuine. In the King James it uses a word that we're not familiar with. It says, Be without dissimulation. That means without hypocrisy. So let your love be sincere or genuine. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. While clinging, join oneself to according or associating with that which is good. 
So he says, let your love be sincere. And I thought this used to be two different thoughts that he was saying here. I, I read it as, let your love be sincere, abhor that which is evil, you know, reject that which is evil, cling to that which is good. And I thought that was two messages. How many know he's talking about our relationships? It's one message. The way that you love sincerely is that you hate what is evil. Anything that's going to separate you from other people, anything that's going to cause gossip or, uh, or disunity, you abhor it, you reject it. And anything that would degrade another person, anything that would, anything that would hurt them, anything that would, come on, uh, uh, kind of offend them, as Paul said, anything like that, he said, you need to reject that. He's talking about relationships. Reject that, but cling to that which is good. What is good? Unity, encouraging, comforting, uh, you know, come on, meeting other people's needs. How many know that's, that's good? He said, we need to reject that which is evil. Gossip, slander, backbiting, judgmental spirit, all those things. How many know that's evil? Reject that kind of stuff. But cling to that which is good. Encouraging, the best, thinking the best for other people. Meeting their needs, getting to know them, fellowshipping with them. How many know that's all good? That's the stuff we need to cling to. This other stuff we need to reject. That's what he's saying. Amen? It's love and sincere action. And so then he says in verse 10, I hope you don't mind, we're going through the Bible today. Verse 10, it says, Be warmly devoted, tenderly loving one another, with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. What's he saying is leading the way for one another in honor, or being the first to honor other people. Don't wait for other people to respect you and honor you. You show that first. That's sincere, sincere action. How many know what I'm talking about? And you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, let, let us remind everybody here that 1 Corinthians 13 says you can have all kinds of gifts, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. And then in verse 11, I like this, and verse 12, again, I always thought this was a separate thought. It's the same thought within this, this idea of our transformed relationships with the body of Christ. Is be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, verse 11, keeping your passion towards Him. I like this translation. It says, let your, let your love for God be boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let Him fill you with the excitement as you serve Him. So it says this in the King James, it says don't be slothful in business, don't be lazy in business. In other words, don't, just, don't be lazy to give to other people, to love other people, to think about other people. Be fervent in spirit, let it be sincere, let it be real, let it be passionate. How many know that is compassion? How many know there's passion in compassion? <laughs> Put the passion in compassion. Is that right? That is what he's saying. Put the passion in compassion. Don't just like, here, I got to like you. Because I see you on Sunday. We go to the same church. How many, know, how many know, this is just, we're just celebrating here today. Our relationships in Christ go much further than Sunday morning. They bleed into Monday through Saturday. Amen. They go, they, they go with us. Amen. And so, hallelujah. And so, in verse 13, or in verse 12, he's saying, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Devoting yourselves to prayer. Now he's talking about corporate action. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. You know, as a church, we go through things. It seems like a whole church goes through. Our community goes through those things. He encourages us to be patient in tribulation. Devoting ourselves to prayer. Have the heart of a servant with passion. Amen. Behind it is what he's saying. And then in verse 13, the last point of this part of our transformed relationships with those in the church. He says, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Pursuing hospitality. You know, in order for you to meet somebody's need, you've got to know the need. In order for you to know the need, you've got to know them. So it's one thing for you to drop off a, a bunch of cans of food. That's great. That's neat. But it's better for you to know somebody who needs those. Anybody? I'm talking spiritual now. I'm getting as spiritual as we can get right now. 
because honestly, this is, this is what he's saying, is that let's stay focused on what sincere love is all about. And so he says, distributing to the necessity of the saints and pursuing hospitality. Then he goes in and he talks about our transformed relationships in the world or to the world. And it says, and he begins to, to, to begin to give us more now instruction about this area. And so I want to give you three things in closing about a relationship in the world as far as our transformed relationship. Now it says at the very beginning of verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Immediately, automatically, we start thinking it's us against them. Automatically. If everybody in the world doesn't know Jesus, they're worthless, don't waste your time on them, they're going to hell, we're better than them. How many know that's not what he's saying? you got to change the way you think about it. You, got, you, you know, it's us four no more. I'm, I've been redeemed and nobody else. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. The gospel's for everybody. You're saved by grace. <laughs> and you know what? Everything that God did for you, he did for everybody else. They need to know about it through you. Right? Come on, somebody. Amen. So immediately we get this idea that we need to be isolated and we need to be, you know, let's, we're, we're, we're better, we're this, we're that. And listen, you, you just don't understand what he's saying is that we're not isolated. That's not what it means to be conformed. He said you don't, you don't conform to the system, the mentality, the spirit that's in the world. But how many know Jesus was in the world, but he wasn't of the world, but he reached the world when he was in it. So I know a lot of Christians that love to come to Sunday morning, but they're scared to death to see everybody else the rest of the week. Where are all the Christians? Where are all the Christians? Well, the, you're in a mission field, brother. Amen. You're in a mission field. Amen. And you're, you're, exact, you're doing exactly what Jesus did. Spent 85% of his ministry in public. Out in the open. Come on, somebody. Is that right? Out in public. And so that's what Jesus did. And so let me give you three things. In verse 14 and 15, 16, we're going to talk about these things. Number one, we declare the gospel in our words and example. So that's our relationship in the world. This is the transformed mind that we have. And this is the renewed mind that we have. This is the transformed relationships which now we live in. The Bible says that anybody that has friendship with the world is enemy to be God, an enemy of God. It talks about, again, fellowship. There's a difference between being friendly to people. I know Christians that are just nasty to, to other people. They're just nasty because they think that they're better than everybody else because they're saved. Well, you're just saved, sanctified, and petrified. That's all you are. Come on. And self-glorified. That's not the spirit of Jesus. And so we've got to correct that. That's a different sermon. But we declare the gospel in our words. And, our, and this is what he says in verse 14. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Don't call down curses from them. We see that example that when Jesus went through Samaria. And Samaria didn't actually was going to go through Samaria. Samaria did not want him to come through their town. They rejected Jesus. Jesus had to go two days journey around Samaria. And so James and John, the sons of thunder, said, let's call fire down from heaven and destroy them all. Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because I didn't come to destroy men's lives, I came to save them. Is that right, somebody? Amen. How many of you have been that Christian before? Awesome. Three people, the rest need therapy. All right, awesome. So, don't curse. He said, bless. What, what a, how, come on, what a mindset do you have to have to bless somebody who's cursing you? To bless somebody who's persecuting you? 
to pray for somebody who wants to see you dead, destroyed, who doesn't like you. They keep complaining about you. They're throwing rocks at you. Come on, online they won't let you alone. They're calling you a heretic. They're trying to expose you as a liar. They hate you. What kind of mentality do you have to have to pray for them, to bless them? That's different, isn't it? How many know that's a transformed life? That, that is a renewed thinking. That is a transformed relationship that you're coming into. That you're coming into a relationship to bless people that don't like you. To pray for people that don't like you. To, to bless people that are speaking evil of you. That's the transformed relationship that we walk in as believers. That somebody at work can be cursing at you and lying about you and talking about behind your back. Doing everything they can to get you fired. And yet all you're doing the whole time is blessing them. Praying for them. Doing good to them. I mean, that's different, isn't it? That's a different thinking, isn't it? That, 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 that's a transformed relationship. And then in verse 16, he again says to be thinking the same mind, th- be th- thinking the same thing toward one another. Now he goes back and forth. He's encouraging Christians now. He says that we need to be thinking the same thing toward one another, not thinking high. Again, there's that word, not thinking high or proud. And then he says this statement. He says, but condescend to men of low estate. Right? Be not wise in your own conceit. Here he's talking about almost like a social structure. People that aren't, aren't on the same level as you, whether it's financial or whatever, whatever it is. He said that people, it's talking about a social status, emotional status, some kind of status he's saying of low estate. And he's saying, listen, you need to condescend or be a servant like Jesus. How many know Jesus was into towels, not titles? He was a servant. He came as a, that's why it blew people's mind that Jesus didn't come as a politician. He didn't come as a king. He didn't come as, a, as this awesome Pharisee. He could have. He came as a servant. The Bible says that he suffered and he, he lowered himself, the Bible says. How many know he humbled himself to low degree? That's what the Bible says. He wasn't afraid to do it. We're afraid to do it. How many know you take that risk of, of, of people walking all over you and taking advantage of you when you humble yourself? Looking like you're not this successful person or this rich person or this really, you know, what you, what you kind of put on, on social media is successful and happy. Now I've got oh, to minister to people that don't. I remember the Bible says this is a good thing. This is a transformed relationship. Let me move on because this is touching so many hearts. Amen. Jesus really, again, gives us the answers for the things we're looking for in the world. We're looking for unity. We're looking for love. We're looking for reconciliation. We're looking for acceptance. But it's right here in Jesus Christ. When we begin to change the way we think, we'll begin to change the way we treat other people. And this is what Paul's teaching. And so that's what I want to teach today. The second thing is Christians walk in love and strength. In verse 17 and 18, he says, Don't repay anyone for evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, of everyone. For it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that you can live at peace with everyone. As much as you can, try to live at peace with everyone. How many know there's some people, they just, you cannot, as much as you can, he's saying, as much as you can, live at peace with everyone. And we're all thinking about those beautiful neighbors. And so, live at peace with everyone, right? But then he says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We're not to seek revenge. We're not to seek vengeance. We're not to go after people and repay them because we think they deserve it and we pay. How many know the Bible says turn it over to God's wrath? How many know God has a process of dealing with people? 
Anybody? Does anybody believe that? It's not the way we would. Lord, send fire down from heaven. Strike them dead. God says, I'm going to deal with them a different way. I'm going to slowly, slowly deal with them. Slowly deal with them. You're like, no, deal with them right now. The pain they caused me, I mean, everything they did to me and everything they said to me, they deserve this, this, and this. We need to just allow God. The Bible says, turn it over to the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Vengeance doesn't belong to us. Vengeance, the Bible says, and I'm not going to talk long about this because this is another message, but vengeance doesn't belong to us anymore. And that's the transformed relationship we're in. And that is this, is that God deals with people. How many know that takes a lot, doesn't it? It takes a lot of faith to allow God to deal with somebody. Come on, somebody. I mean, some of you are like struggling. You just want to hit that button, post. Please, Jesus, I got to do this. If I hit, if I make this post in rebuttal, it's the most awesome thing in history of the world of Facebook. No. But Christians walk in love. And the last thing is, is that we will serve and give our lives like Jesus. That is the transformed relationships that we have to the world, is that we will serve and give our lives like Jesus. Verse 20 says this, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, now wait a second, don't take vengeance on him again. He says that this blows us away. This is the kingdom process thinking. This is what Jesus said. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. And that is not a, that is not a destructive term. That is a conviction term. From Proverbs, read it. He's talk, that's an old Proverbs. In fact, this whole quote right here in verse 20 is a Proverbs. It's out of Proverbs 25. He says that as you feed somebody, they're going to feel convicted eventually. God's going to deal with them for what they're doing to you. Man, that's different, isn't it? That just goes against us. Can you see where he's saying don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Renewed relationships? I'm telling you, it's different, isn't it? You know, this last week, uh, for some reason, I had been uh, watching the, uh, I love seeing that, you know, World War II in color. You ever see that documentary and those things? Love those things. And they got to, when they started talking about the concentration camps and, and all those things that were happening, uh, I began and went back to the story of Corrie ten Boone and, of course, uh, and the story of, of some others too, but uh, especially Corrie. And I went back to her story and listened to her testimony and some of her sermons. And, you know, she, she just really struggled with forgiveness. Now, you'd say to yourself, well, why would she struggle? Well, maybe if you were taken to a concentration camp, arrested, and, taken, and your family was separated, your father died, your brother died, and eventually your sister died in front of your eyes in a concentration camp because of the result of a beating from, a, from a, 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 an officer. She said there was a particular officer that really did not like her sister. Her sister would always have a smile on her face in a concentration camp. She was always preaching the gospel to the 700 women in that 200-person room. She was always talking about, she said when we got to our room, and she said there was a, a room that was made for 200 women, and there were 700 of us in this room we had to squeeze in. She said there was fleas and lice on the bed before I even got into it. Her sister said, Corey, thank the Lord for a mattress. How many know that's a renewed mind? That's different. But anyways, the, the soldier and the, the officer that really targeted her sister and beat her, and, and for just saying that she was tired because she had a disease and she was sick and she was getting tired and she said she was tired and she got a beating for it and really, really beat her and eventually a week later she had died. But, you know, Corey had to learn 
forgiveness. She had to learn that she had to think different and she had to have a renewed mind. She said that years later, this older gentleman had walked up to her and began to weep and cry and ask for forgiveness. He was the prison guard that beat her sister. And this guy prayed and he said, he told Corey later, he said, later on after the war, I, I don't know how, but I found Jesus and I got forgiveness. And he said, it's been a prayer of mine. Lord, let me find someone who I persecuted that I can ask for forgiveness. We, we just don't, we don't, that kind of, that, and the Bible's talking, he's saying that this is the kind of, this is the kind of relationships that you're going to walk in. This is the kind of transformed mind and life that you're going to live if you just give yourself wholly to Jesus Christ. This is what happens. There's a transformation in the last verse. I'm going to read and then we'll stand. It says in verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And what is the good he's talking about here? The good is the transformed life. The transformed life. Can we stand on our feet today? Amen. And so, as we look at this and look at this last two weeks, how do I live a transformed life? What is God asking me to do? I believe it looks like this, that we need to give all in. We're all in with God. I believe that it looks like that we, we shouldn't conform to lust and pride. The pressure of a godless society to love ourselves more than anything else. We need to desire the will of God. How many know that's a transformed life? Desire the will of God. Change the way you think about yourself and other people. Remember, if you love yourself too much, you'll hurt other people and eventually destroy yourself. But if you hate yourself too much, you will hurt other people and destroy yourself. Change the way you think about yourself and others and... Finally, as we see here, love with sincere actions. Love with sincere actions. There's so many of us that we're coming into a time and a day that we haven't seen before and we haven't understood before, but we're here right now in our nation where God wants you to bless those who persecute you. Where maybe it would be that you're carried off to jail and you go to prison for, for violating state, state, uh, state uh, you know, laws or whatever about certain things. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to have a transformed life. It's a renewed life. That's what it is. And so our worship is transformed. Our mind is transformed. And our relationships are transformed because we've given ourselves to God. Because we want His will. Because we're thinking about others more than ourselves. And because we're loving with sincere actions. And I believe it because of His awesome mercy. It all goes back to His mercy. He opened up. I beseech you by the mercies of God. It all goes back to the mercies of God. How many know if you can really see and understand the mercy that God had for you and still has for you, it will change your life. And that's what I leave with you today. As Paul said, get this revelation of the mercies of God. Because if you get the revelation of the mercy of God, you want to offer yourself freely to Him. You want to be all in. You want to give yourself to Him. You won't conform to anything that's not of the Lord. You want to be transformed and changed and know His will and love other people like Jesus Christ loved us. Aren't you glad that the Bible says that we can love others the way that Jesus loved us? And how many know that Jesus loved us with a love that we just can't sometimes understand? Why would an innocent man, why would somebody allow himself to be tortured and beaten by 300 soldiers? Come on, why would he do that? He did it because of us, because of love. I can't, that just blows me away. And so to the world that doesn't know the Lord, so this kind of love that we have, should blow them away. Why would you sing 
Why would you pray? Why would you love? Why would you bless when I'm persecuting you? When I'm attacking you? When I, when I hate you? I don't get it. How many know that love just blows people away? Because of the mercy of God. Because of the mercy of God, I can give myself to God today. Maybe you haven't given yourself to the Lord. Maybe you haven't given your all. You're still holding back. You're still running from God. You're still trying to play both worlds. You're still trying to fit in at the world and yet fit into the kingdom. It's not going to work. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. And so today I want just to encourage you, make your decision to follow Jesus Christ. Be all in. Offer yourself a living sacrifice, a holy, complete everything to God so that He can use you and you can understand the way that He works through a transformed life. If that's you today, we want to pray with you. We have people that come down after the, uh, after the service, and if you'd like that, but right there at your seat. Can we just close our eyes and maybe bow our head? Maybe you're right there at your seat, and for the first time, the very first time, you said, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. He is not my Lord and Savior. I'm not born again, but today I want to do this. I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that He rose again and that through Him I could have new life. My sins can be washed. I can have a new life and a new heart and I can live out this transformed life that you were talking about today. If that's you, maybe you can slip your hand up for the first time. For the first time. Is there anybody here today? Anybody here today? Maybe you're online, wherever you are. Maybe you can just maybe lift your hand to God, not necessarily us, we won't see it, but to God and just say, Lord, that's me. I want to be saved today. And so I repent of my sin, of selfishness and pride and of lust, lust of the eye and everything I wanted and hating other people and serving other things. I have not served you. I've used your name as a cuss word. I did not honor my parents and I, I, I'm broken, Lord. Come heal me today. Save me and deliver me. Set me free so I can live this transformed life through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. If that's you and you're online and you've prayed that prayer, if you really have decided to follow Jesus Christ for the first time, we want to hear from you. Please just get a hold of our church, get a hold of our office. Immediately we'll follow up with you. Maybe just leave an instant message there on Facebook or a message or comment there on YouTube. We'd love to hear from you and hear what God's doing in your life. Amen. For the rest of us, can we just lift our hand to heaven and say, Lord, I just love you today because of what you're doing on the inside, but what you're doing in me. What you're doing in me is greater, Lord, than I can ever do for myself. And I thank you, Lord, that what you want to do, Lord, in me is more important than what you can do for me. And so today I want to say, Lord, let the process continue. Let the metamorphosis change, continue in my life. How I view other people, how I treat other people, how I view myself today, Lord. We want to live this transformed life, Lord, that this city can be transformed. This whole region can be transformed. And our nation can be transformed by those who know Jesus Christ. We bless you today. We love you. And we honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.